You're listening to the Brookside Church Sermon Podcast. We're a progressive and inclusive community of faith in the heart of Morris County, New Jersey, reminding everyone that they are the beloved child of God. For more information, visit us online at brooksidechurch.org. Our second scripture reading this morning uh, comes from uh, Mark chapter 4, verse, verses 35 through 41. This may sound familiar because um, you remember last year we read through the book of Matthew together, and this comes up twice there. It comes up twice in Mark. The story is a doublet. And um, so if you were here on June the 3rd, you would have heard Rodney preach from a passage very similar to this. So this is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On the day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he saw, just as he was. Other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat in, into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? But Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. See if you know these words. From the Bureau of Justice directives have come to send out the gunmen to round up everyone who puts human beings ahead of the state or preaching that love is better than hate. So I'm going to prison so I can be free. I'm going to prison for what I believe. Does, anybody, does that sound familiar to anybody? Those are the words are Barbara, of Barbara Dane. So Barbara Dane was a, an activist, uh, social justice warrior, artist, musician, and she sang with Pete Seeger. So this is, they ran around the country teaching people how to sing protest music. And I've had this song of hers in my voice, all, in, in my head all week. I heard this interview earlier this week with the famed protest singer Barbara Dane, and I'll talk more about her later. But the point about going to prison for what you believe, for the sake of freedom, I think that's how I wanted to start our conversation today. The last few weeks have really done a number on my soul. And um, it's, it's because I have a real problem with figuring out my role in the world as a pastor. And partly, especially because when you see the Bible used in political theater, or you might say misused, I have to ask myself what my role is as a leader uh, in the community. Am I, supposed to, um, am I supposed to be the one who's helping the, the community, the world, our society understand what to do with this text? Or am I supposed to just sit by and let other people use it or misuse it? Uh, and so... Part of me, I'm watching the news and I'm listening to people use the Bible and I'm, I'm gritting my teeth and I'm thinking, you know, that's not really what the Bible says, right? It's not really what that says. Or then I think back and say, well, you know, I guess you could say the Bible says that, but you shouldn't use the Bible that way. 
And then I'm asking myself, well, what am I supposed to do as a religious leader? Am I not supposed to talk about this church? Would my, in church, would my congregation even welcome a conversation about this? And then I realized, okay, that's part of my job. So I may not be able to stand in public in front of the public eye and tell you how to read passages like Romans 13. But I can give you a couple of tidbits of information. So first of all, I'm not going to go through Romans 13 because we're going to talk about inclusion, inclusivity today. And of course, inclusion and exclusion are part of the narrative here um, about Romans 13 and the way it was used in in our society recently. Um, But here's what I want to tell you. So Romans 13 was used recently to tell you that the government has been ordained by God. Meaning, basically, anything that the government tells you to do, you must do because that's what it would mean to be godly. To do that, to go against the government would be going against God. But I want to teach you something this morning that will help you throughout the rest of what we're going to do this summer. Or I hope will help you. So here's, a, here's an acronym I want to teach you. It's not I-C-E. It's C-I-E. Can I get everybody to say that? C-I-E. And I learned this very early on in seminary, and it's this. is Context is everything. Context is everything. And so C-I-E is meant to tell you to beware of, tr- of proof texting. Anytime someone pulls out a particular verse and tries to use it to justify their own opinion, beware of proof texting. You always want to ask the question, where did that verse come from? What's the context in which it was written? And not only, not only the context in this big book that we have, right, this Bible that we have that we're supposed to be using throughout the re- our time as faithful people trying to learn the stories and, and all of those things, but it, it's not just understanding where the context of the passage in the Bible, but also understanding the historical and social context from which it was written. Because these things didn't just appear out of nowhere. There were people with particular situations living through particular circumstances and leaders of the church who were writing to them or writing for them to help them understand a reality. And I think we also should say that us as a people should have the freedom to agree or disagree with it. Um, So to use it to say that you're going against God uh, by using the text, just beware of proof texting. Context is everything. But... Even more than that, I just want to quickly, real quickly, as a response to the way that Romans 13 was used, give you just my own lens. The law and the Bible have a very complicated relationship with each other. And I hope that if you hear anything else that I have to say today, you know that. Um, And if you want to hear the way that I think that the Bible and the law have a very complicated, by the law, I'm talking about the rules of a particular administrative territory. Um, Moses, remember, um, went before the government to say that you're doing something wrong. And the government gave oppressive responses. And then before you know it, the whole whole story is made up of a whole group of people who disobeyed the law, right? And found freedom in God. And then God gave them new laws, right? Um, Then you can skip over all the prophets because remember the prophets had nothing to say to the kings of Israel, right? Uh, Of course, if you think that way, you have no idea what a prophet does, right? 
But if you skip over the prophets, you get to Daniel. Daniel's pretty important in our Christian tradition. Uh, there's a lot of things that Daniel does and says that lead into the theology that, uh, that developed into the New Testament. But at the beginning, remember the story, if you remember your Sunday school days, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why is that so famous? Because King Nebuchadnezzar tried to do what with them? Burn them in a fiery furnace, alive. Why? Because they were disobeying the law. And then Daniel, later on, gets thrown into a, everybody, a lion's den. Why? Well, because the Medes and the Persians had a particular set of laws and Daniel disobeyed them. Right? So, okay, so that's the Old Testament. In the middle, if you talk to your well-read Catholics, there's the story of the Maccabees. We don't have the Maccabees in our Protestant Bibles. But the Maccabees is this story of a revolutionary people who up, up, upended the government, right? The people who were in charge of them and tried to win their territory back and won and had, had they reigned over the, the land of Israel for 100 years until the Romans came in. So then you get to the New Testament. So maybe the New Testament might be different, Right? Except for the New Testament, remember in the book of Matthew, the very first pages, you find a refugee family running away from the government and the wise men who disobeyed what the government told them to do. And then you get the story of John the Baptist. And what happened with John the Baptist? He was beheaded, right? Why? Well, he was first put in prison and then beheaded because he was saying something to the government and disobeying the laws, right? Well, then you get the story of Jesus. Right? And Jesus was crucified, executed publicly as a criminal. And then, if, you, if that's not good enough, most of the letters of Paul were written from prison. And, well, if that's not good enough, then the church was founded. You could read the story of the book of Acts. And all throughout, all of the founders of the church, most of them were, according to tradition, martyred. And martyr is just another word for saying that they were executed by the state because they didn't do what they were told. And so I'm not saying that that's what you need to be doing, but I'm just saying that if we want to talk about using the Bible, then the Bible and the relationship between the Bible and the law is a very complicated thing, right? Um, so with that being said, I, I'm going to go ahead and let's talk a little bit about Barbara Dane. So she sings this song, Going to Prison, so that I can be free. And she sang with Pete Seeger trying to help the world kind of understand the context that they were living in. I'm talking way back, even before the civil rights movement, back in World War II days. And so she's been in my head because I listened to this podcast that had her telling her story. She's in her 90s now. And she's telling her story about how she got into this. And she begins by telling her story. I always ask this question, and it's important for us. We're asking the question, how do we get to the other side? Right? That was the question that Rodney asked us. And so that's the question I want to ask you as a congregation today. How do we get to the other side? How do we become an inclusive community? And so I'm listening to her with that question in mind, and she starts telling her own story. And here's how her story goes. Her dad was, he grew up in Klan country in Arkansas, and then they moved, this is during the Depression era, they moved to Detroit, and he became a pharmacist. So she tells this story of her father running this pharmacy, and there were these African-American workers outside with the pick and axe and, and shovels working on the railroad, I imagine, it was a very, very, very hot day, and one of them came in and asked for a Coca-Cola. 
So I guess Coca-Cola is what they called it during the, those days. And he asked for a Coca-Cola, but he didn't know because now he's in the north whether it's okay for him to sit down or not, but he's cooling off. And so the child, Barbara Dane, says, take a seat. He's not sure what he's going to do, but he decides to take a seat. And immediately her dad jumps out and comes up and then goes to him and says, what are you doing here? You can't be in here. Take, take that out of here. Well, and then Barbara Dane looks at her father and her father says to him, you should have known better. You should have known better. If they come in here, then we're not going to have any customers. This is during the Depression era. She says that somehow she knew that the man was right and her father was wrong. This is what she said. From a very young age, she knew somehow that the man was right and her father was in the wrong. And she said that from that point on in her life, she always questions, questioned interchanges like that. So that's the birth point for her, her awakening, the moment when she was reborn, when her consciousness was changed where she was able to see the world through the lens of asking the question, is this right or not? Who's being left out? Who's being excluded? So I want to take that story and take a deeper look with you and use that as a framework of asking the question, how do we get to the other side? Remember, these people were following Jesus. They, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And it was dangerous and it was scary and it was stormy. And, I, and then Jesus looked at them and says, why are you afraid? What is it that makes us afraid? If you wanted to maybe figure out what to do with those index cards, you could write on, the, on them the answer to that question. What makes you afraid? What makes us afraid of being inclusive? What are some risks we're going to take? What are some dangers that come up? If we look at the story that Barbara Dane told about her own awakening, this is what I want to kind of take here. So... The first reason that her father says they can't be in here, he justified it not because he thought differently about African-Americans, but because of his, he was going to lose his customers, right? So by being inclusive, he was afraid that he was going to lose money, that people were going to not come in. So that should somewhere kind of put us on a place where we're asking questions about him. So we're a white privileged community, right? There's no getting around that. And we should ask our own selves when we ask these questions, how would we respond in that situation? Would, in that, that's a, it's, a, it's its own social location and its own history. Uh, again, this is in the Depression. This was for the civil rights, right? But this little girl, right? She knew. She knew the difference between right and wrong. Even though society didn't, she did. So we should ask ourselves, was that pharmacist, was he being racist? Or maybe we can ask the question, um, what, what, were the customers racist? Who's racist here? Well, I want to answer that question real quickly by telling you about a guy named Jay Smooth. So you can watch Jay Smooth makes these popular YouTube videos. And he, he says that it's not as effective to ask the question whether someone is racist. What's better to ask is whether or not what they are doing is a racist act. So instead of calling someone racist, you say, what you just did was racist. So in this situation, we could ask about the father and whether he was racist or not, but we could definitely say that the act that he did was exclusion. It was exclusion, excluding a particular section of society because them being in there from his own words would have risked his own business. 
Was it, a, was it racist? It was a racist act, yes. Was it because that person was racist? I don't know. We need to think about that a little bit. Let's just take that a little bit further. I'm using my own imagination to try to play around with the story here. If he had, let's say for the benefit of the doubt, he took the, a, a whole case of Coca-Cola and snuck it over to the other side where all these workers were and said, shh, here, take this. Would that make him less racist? Would it be a less racist situation? And so here's what, I want, what I'm wanting to do is try to see if we can look at a spectrum of exclusion. So I want to look, point out for you some points along a spectrum of exclusion and inclusion so we can sort of look at this story and figure out what's going on. So on the one end, I'm not going to tell you whether it's left or right because that would, that would put me in some bad company. But on one side of the spectrum is hard exclusion. So hard exclusion are those openly white supremacist, ex verbally exclusivist communities, right? That's hard exclusion. You know where they stand. They'll tell you that they're racist. They have no problem being labeled racist, right? They're the ones that will paint things on the side of buildings. They'll do their own rallies and marches. We know who they are. And most of the time when white folks say, I'm not racist, that's what we mean. I'm not one of them. Then there's the soft exclusionists. So, so, so that there's hard exclusion and soft exclusion. So I'm going to look at my notes here just to tell you how I, I think about soft exclusion. Soft exclusion are those people who are uncomfortable or communities, they're uncomfortable affirming or interacting with oppressed people who are different than them. They're uncomfortable with it. They have a fear about it. And this fear causes them to act in certain ways that exclude. Soft exclusion. So this is where the term xenophobia or homophobia or transphobia or whatever the phobia is, that's where that resides. A person is, they don't hate, right, necessarily, but they're not comfortable. And they have a little bit of a fear, right? So that's next, next long line. If you wanted to draw this out in your notes, it might not be so bad. Because you can ask yourself where you are or where we are as a congregation. Hard exclusionist, soft exclusionist. So here's my next one. Exclusive by association. So exclusivist by association, these are the communities who are uncomfortable being inclusive because they're afraid they're going to be excluded by the dominant exclusive community. I don't want to include you, not because I have a problem with you, but if I were to include you, I would now be excluded. Here's the story with this pharmacist who says, I can't serve you Coca-Cola, you're not supposed to be here. We can ask what his own motives and his own opinion is, but we can definitely say his actions were exclusive, right? So exclusive by association. I would say most of our churches are that way, right? Most of our churches are that way. We won't tell you you don't belong here. We'll even say that we welcome you, but when you come, we get a little nervous and we get nervous, not because we don't want to sit next to you, but because, oh my gosh, what if the community saw you here, right? Or what if the world know, knew that we were a place, right? This was a place where you belonged. So that's exclusive by association. So hard exclusion, soft exclusion, exclusion by association. So now we get to the, a new kind of place. This is the point in the story where I think Jesus begins to speak to the storm and say, peace be still. We're journeying to the other side. Jesus says, why are you afraid? So these are the people I call inclusive participants. They're communities that want to be inclusive. 
but they still operate within an exclusive framework. They say they're inclusive, but they don't actively participate in changing anything about the situation. They want to continue to benefit from being in a place of privilege inside of an exclusive environment. So there are people who say, yes, we're open. Yes, we're affirming, but we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to engage with it. We're not going to actively protest. We're not going to go to pride parades, right, if you're talking about homosexuality, right? We're, we're going to be inclusive, but inclusive by participating in an exclusive environment, right? So finally, here's the other side. What is the exact other side of this? So hard exclusion, soft exclusion, exclusion by association, inclusive participants. So here's the final one. The fully inclusive, beloved community. This is what I think Jesus was doing. This is what I think started the whole movement that the gospel is based on. Here is what Jesus is asking his followers to do, to come to the other side. Fully inclusive communities are places where difference is not just allowed, but fully affirmed, celebrated, even sought after. Here, inclusion is coupled with an expectation that we're going to have to learn new ways of thinking, new languages, new practices. We're going to have to learn to overcome oppression and our exclusive tendencies. All of us have these exclusive tendencies, and we have to find ways to overcome them. This is what the other side looks like. But to be clear, that you can't get to the other side if you're not willing to be working alongside those excluded communities. You can't get there. If you want to be inclusive, but you want to distance yourself from the excluded communities, it's impossible. It's not possible. That's what Rodney was saying. If you want to get to the other side, this is what the other side looks like. So if you read the stories of the Gospels, I think this is where we find Jesus. Jesus begins at the end of his, he begins and ends his ministry by associating himself with those the larger society excluded. When it comes to any form of exclusion, it's important that we understand that oppressed and excluded communities, they operate with their own forms of exclusion, but understand that this happens for the sake of them protecting themselves from a dominant oppressive society. These communities represent what the other side of the exclusive framework looks like. This is what we're operating to overcome. So in order to become a safe place, an inclusive space, those who are from excluded communities, we have, they, we have to ask the excluded communities to help us to create spaces that make them feel safe and included. Now, that doesn't always mean asking them to come here. It means us going there and learning from them. So I want to ask you now for this exercise to, to think about this community. Those of you who have been here for years, many years, where are you on that spectrum? I don't think that we're hard exclusionists. I don't think that we're mostly, I don't think we're soft exclusionists, but we might find ourselves somewhere in the other part of it. What does it look like to stop, right? And to say, Jesus, I'm scared about this. I'm afraid of going over. This is gonna cause too much turmoil. How do we get there? And we need to hear Jesus look at us and say, peace be still, right? What are you so afraid of? I wanna close just by pointing out that while my example today was largely about race, I think exclusion operates the same way when it comes to gender and sexuality. So for the rest of the summer, we're going to be wrestling together what the Bible says about homosexuality. And again, I'm going to be talking about what the Bible doesn't say. But I want to close by talking to you a bit about what it means to be open and affirming. 
This is part of why I think it's important for us to do this now. So open means that we're willing to let others come and join us, to sit alongside us, to worship with us, even participate us. But most of the time, though, that's not really a point of conflict anymore in our world, right? Even some of the most hardline exclusive communities will say that. You look on their website, it says, all are welcome. But an affirming congregation is one that celebrates difference. Affirming inclusive religious spaces are those that say, we belong for you, right? And we want you to be included among us, not because, not because we want to change who we are, but because we cannot encounter the mystery of God without you, right? We're including you because if you're not included in our community, we cannot encounter God. They're the spaces where all people, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, women, men, transgender, genderqueer, gay, lesbian, bisexual, asexual, straight, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, they're not just welcome. We say, come and be here and be who you are. Now, we're in a Christian community. We're in a Christian framework. We're going to be reading from the Bible, talking about Jesus, but we're going to be doing it in a way that says, hey, how can I learn from you to better understand my own story? Not to say that you're not invited that you can't teach us something. So here's my question. How do we get there? How do we get to the place where we're walking alongside the journey with people who have been traditionally excluded? How can we get to the place where we hear Jesus say, peace be with you? I want to close with this one thought. We don't have a rainbow flag outside. The conversations that I have had with several people is that we're afraid to have a rainbow flag outside because we're afraid how the community would respond. Not necessarily we're afraid that there are people in our church who would leave, though I think that that might be partly in some, in some ways in the back of some people's mind about fear. But here's the problem with asking that question. What would the rainbow flag do to our community, our worshiping space, or the people outside who would look at us funny. We know we're not an inclusive community when we ask that rather than asking the question, where do all of those other people go to church? <coughs> if you lived in Mendham and you were an 18-year-old lesbian, and you've, every time you went to church you got sick at your stomach because you thought that the pastors hated you, where would you choose to go to church? If you were a transgender female, right, transitioning from male to female, and you feel sick at looking at your body in the mirror. And you're looking for a place where you can feel safe and comfortable, where people are not going to look at you funny, where someone will say, come and sit beside me. Where the pastor would say, hey, maybe you can share your testimony and tell us what you think about God. Right? That's, where, where do you find that kind of space? Where would someone go to church? For me, that's why you put a rainbow flag out in front of the church. Right? It's a way of saying, hey, we're trying to do our homework here and we're trying to be inclusive. And if we say something wrong, you can correct us because this is a space where we celebrate you. Right? So I just want to ask you, I'm not asking you to put up a rainbow flag. That's beyond the point. I'm asking you to get to the place where we're thinking in our minds, what communities are excluded in our space? And how do we get to a place where we are excited about having those, community, those people with us? 
That's what I'm hoping to get through through the next rest of the summer, for us to be able to look at the Bible, look at the, what the Bible says, and for us to get a sense of our own identity as a congregation and see where we're at on that spectrum and what some of the homework we have to do. So remember, you've got your white cards, so feel free to answer, you know, ask questions, say some of the things that you're afraid about. Don't be afraid to do that. You don't have to put your name on it. And that might help us kind of make sense of where we are as a congregation. Amen?